I just received a text from Pastor Dave. He is watching. (laughs) Always watching. (laughs) Nervous laughter. Okay. It's great. I guess they do have internet down there. They have uh, opportunities to connect. So, um, team, great to have you on online and everyone else. Um, but today, uh, I, I'm hoping over the next few weeks, you guys aren't having whiplash or anything because um, I have the next two weeks, and then Dave's going to come back and he's going to finish up Thessalonians with uh, just a concluding type sermon, and then um, then we're going to go through the month of August and have a, a rotation of guest speakers. Um, Bill, myself, and Steve Matson are going to join us. Um, we've been doing this practice every year to kind of give Pastor Dave just the opportunity and the margin to prepare for the upcoming year of ministry. Um, I don't know if you agree, but I feel like I've seen Dave's best sermons after he has a little time off. Um, it's a blessing to us when he has that rest to prepare for, for ministry. Um, but for you... I, I hope you guys don't get any whiplash in the neck. Um, it should be great. The next two weeks, uh, what I was hoping to really to dive into is is a couple of the psalms that we see um, kind of around a couple of, of, of key ideas, this week being uh, the one that surrounds kind of the idea of confession. And, and next week, uh, a psalm that kind of takes us through um, what it looks like when you go through dark times. The, the Psalms, and you kind of saw that when we went, went through 89, the Psalms, are, I think, are, are fascinating for us to kind of absorb and understand what, what does it look like to truly pray and, and be, um, be able to kind of put everything on the table when we, we pray to God. I think what you see a lot in, in our church culture right now is that when we kind of approach church and we approach, you know, certainly a religiosity of ourselves, um, what we kind of tend to do is we take emotion out of it. We try to be very just, you know, even keel. Um, Sometimes even we approach our emotions with suspicion or, you know, why do I feel this way? I got to get over this. I got to shake out of this, whatever the feeling is. And, and the Psalms are so fascinating in how um, whenever you read through those, those verses, they never shy away from absolute honesty about how they're feeling and the emotions that they're experiencing. And what you actually see when you go through these different Psalms is that they, they actually pray through those emotions. I mean, think about what you just read in, in Psalm 89. Uh, if you're in a prayer circle nowadays or in the Sunday school class or anything in Orchard and someone started praying, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you hiding your face from us? What's going on? I'm near the grave. Life is fleeting. Like my time is short. I can't believe you're doing this. Um, all of a sudden, I think all the elders would get nervous. The pastor would get nervous. You would get nervous. And you would start saying, get this guy out of here. He's about to go into heresy or something like that. Um, and we get very uncomfortable with that, right? We think, like, what? what is this? This is not how you pray. We pray everything's great. Everything's hopeful. We have joy all over the place. Nothing's wrong, right? We're doing great. Like, right? We asked you this morning, how are you doing? Great. Everything's great. 
But then you read the Psalms and it's like nothing's great and everything is maybe too honest. And so the, the Psalms are, are awesome as an example to us what it looks like to pray through a situation or a circumstance in your life where those emotions are very real, the emotions are, are, are deeply felt, and, and not shy away from those feelings, but to lean into them and to pray through them. What you should see every time when we go through any psalm, when that honesty about emotions starts coming through real raw, look at how whoever is writing those words, expressing those emotions, where they are doing it and to whom they are doing it is very important. Being honest with your creator and praying through these emotions with your creator, that's what you see in the Psalms. We don't see these people running to other things, putting their hope and trust in other people, blaming circumstances on other things. They're right there at the feet of their creator. And those emotions are real, and they're laid at the feet of, of God, and they pray through those. So this week and next week, I want to take two particular psalms that I think um, kind of put a spotlight on that idea of, of praying through something and recognizing how the psalms really teaches you and me how you can pray through with honesty and without withholding things. And without pretending that things are fine or have some kind of wishful thinking in your prayers, but to be honest with God and what it looks like and, and just what it can look like for your prayer life. Um, this week, I want to talk through a particular psalm that highlights confession. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 32 for the entire morning. We're camping out. So flip... Turn on, navigate, unscroll, whatever type of Bible you brought this morning. And let's kind of look through Psalm 32. And what I want to do to get started with Psalm 32 is I actually want to start with the very end of the verse, of the scripture. And, and I want to highlight the landing of Psalm 32 in, in what the author actually proclaims. This is David, by the way. Uh, he says there at the very end, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing all you who are upright in heart. And so this is so fascinating because when we talk about confession and we talk about having that confession in our life, and at least in our culture, and especially church, not just you know secular, um, that is a very scary thing, right? What is usually associated with the idea of confession? What do you usually think of when you think, I have something to confess to you, right? What's usually accompanied with that is, is a lot of um, shame, guilt, you're expecting uh, a gut punch for, for coming clean on something. You're expecting um, accusations. You're expecting all these negative things. Um, you know, even in our culture, you know, just outside of church, you're not rewarded for being honest and confessing things. 
Um, our political system is based on never admitting anything wrong. If, if I said something and you show me the film of me saying the exact opposite thing, I'm going to accuse you of being, uh, you know, uh, being a, a cheat or doctoring my words or not understanding the context. Um, we do not value confession. And I think that kind of worldview seeps into the church as well because we collectively, I think, have arrived at a place where we don't value confession. And we don't really invest in confessing to each other what our downfalls are, our failings, um, why we're messed up. Um, again, as I joked about, we come to church, how you doing? Great. I'm great. And so it's interesting to read the landing of Psalm 32. And when, when David prays through confession, and when he, he is honest about who he is and what he has done, and when he, he brings that honesty to his prayer life, and when he confesses to the Lord, we read that the ending is that there is rejoicing. And so how, how can we arrive at that place in our life? How can you arrive at a place where, where you are honest about, about your shortcomings and you confess and it results in rejoicing and results in, in being credited to you as righteousness and being glad and, and even singing? That's what Psalm 32 is supposed to help us walk through here. And so what we want to see and what we want to, to land is an understanding that, that confession can be seen as an opportunity for celebration. And so as we track through this, Keep that in your back of your mind. This is meant to lead us to, to joy. This is meant to lead us to celebration. Confession in your mind and my mind is, is a very dirty thing, and it's putting your shame and your guilt on the table, and you're exposing yourself to, to people that just beat you up and hit you in the gut. Um, but, but the psalm speaks about it much differently and how it's a good thing and something that we celebrate. So... Let's go through this, and let's look at how do you arrive at a place of celebration. Um, and we'll kind of go through this a couple verses at a time and reflect upon this and think about how um, the language of confession can become true in our lives. Verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, that word blessed, blessed, very churchy word, um, it's, it's one of those words that, um, this, this is the, the horse I like to ride. We use this word all the time on Sundays. What does it even mean? Um, and so in this particular situation, when we think about blessed is the one, um, the way you have to think about this is, um, Oh, envious is the one that this is true about. For all of us, is a slightly different idea of like you know the envious positions that we could be in. Um, for myself, when I think about this word, 
um, in about five weeks, I'm going to find myself on a very quiet beach in North Carolina. Um, there's going to be very few people around. I'm going to be feet in the sand, and I have a stack of books that I'm going to go through because I'm going to have about eight hours per day to enjoy reading, um, assuming my kids aren't going to do anything foolish in the ocean. Um, big F. Um, I'm going to wake up with the sun. I'm going to drink a cup of coffee. Um, the most work I'm going to do is setting up that canopy and getting the chairs underneath of it. A lot of work. Because, you know, there's, there's an art to it. You've got to understand the tide schedule. How close can we get? Does it need to be far back? Um, what's the sun doing? Because the sun moves during the day, as you know. And so, like, you've got to put your chair in the spot where, as the sun's going across the sky, like, I don't have to move because I don't want to move. Because um, I've already done all the work I'm going to do. And, and so, um, picture Chris Vincent. Sunglasses in the sand, reading books. Um, I, I drink lots of water, buy drinks, stay hydrated, watch the kids having fun. The beach is incredible, you guys. Um, I don't know what it is, but sand keeps kids occupied for the entire day, uh, as opposed to like Christmas time, they get a bunch of new toys, and that lasts for about two days, and they're bored again. But the beach, man, it's, it's great. And that's, that's, the, that's the image that you should have here when you think about that word blessed. The, the, the envious situation, the, 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 the situation that I'm going to be in that just looks amazing and just, just wonderful and restful. Um, oh, blessed is Chris Vincent, right? And that's the way we should be thinking about this when we read Psalm 32. Oh, the envious position is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. When, the, when that person, when you come across that one who who's, who's knows for a fact that their sins are covered, their transgressions are covered, the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, that this is speaking to how envious of position that is. How wonderful is it is to be in that position. Again, Psalm 32 is trying to get you to verse 11 where there's rejoicing and where there's celebration. And David starts off there, the first two verses here, talking about how, how amazing, how wonderful, how envious is the position for the person who does not hide who they are, does not withhold the truth about who they are, their moral failings, and how they've failed to live up to who they've been created to be, and how you know, they've made a mess of the world and they made a mess of themselves. Um, how envious is that person who understands their sin deeply and yet understands how deep the Lord's love is for them and how their sins are covered, and how their transgressions are covered, and, and the Lord does not count their sin against them. 
the, the first couple of verses are really important as we start to dive in. In some of the later verses in 5, 6, and 7, they also speak to this idea of just how important it is to recognize that, that when it comes to confession, there's, there's a seriousness about your sin. And there's an acknowledgement about who you are and your moral failings. The person that enjoys and rejoices in the Lord in verse 11 is one that looks at their sin in, in reality and understands it very deeply, but also understands that though I am flawed, though I am, I, I am subject to sin, still the Lord loves me and still my sins are covered with his grace and mercy. So th- there's a couple of things that's really important before we get any further on um, because you know, for some of us here, um, you know, Chris is going through some some stuff about confession, and your mind immediately goes to the person that you know needs to hear this, the person that needs to confess. Right? There's somebody in your life you're just like, man, I'm going to send them this sermon as soon as it's over, get it in their inbox, and tell them you need to listen to this because you want them to understand something that you've been trying to put into words for a while. Um, don't be that person. Don't be the person, though, that reflects upon their life and, and thinks that the sins that you, you, you know very clearly and the failings that you have in your life, there's some of us that believe that, that there's things that are true about me that could never be forgiven and could never be reconciled before the Lord. Don't be that person. What I want to invite you is to be here in the sermon and to, to really absorb the language of confession. And, and in order to do that, verses 1 and 2 point out the importance of us being very honest about who we are and the fact that we, we fail to live up to the standard that God has placed before us. But... The joy that we find in there, too, is that though we are exposed before the Lord, we are still covered. Um, The first couple of verses, it's no mistake that when you read this and you think about covering, um, what does that make you think about? Sin, covering, all that other stuff. It's garden language, right? Classic garden language. Um, Psalms in the Old Testament do this all the time where they drop little bitty words that are meant to make you think of a completely you know, different story. Um, the hyperlinks that the Old Testament does, it's, it's rich with it. It happens a lot. And it's very intentional. When you think about um, you know, all of the, the Old Testament, um, you know, there was not a proliferation of written words. It was not everywhere. Um, very oral they were very serious about memorizing all of Scripture, especially the first five books, also known as the Torah. Um, so for, for the Jewish culture, this was committed to memory. And this is a, a intentional tactic of, of kind of dropping a couple of words from a different story and supposed to make you think of a completely different story. And, and it's brilliant what it's doing here, right? Because when we think about the garden, when we think about Genesis chapter 3 especially, um, when Adam and Eve had sinned against God and had, had committed that first sin, disobeying God about what he declared to be good 
and what he declared to be wrong. And they ate the, the tree from the tree. The Bible tells us that they felt exposed. That they felt exposed before God when that sin entered into their life. And, and that's, that's brilliant imagery. And that, that is exactly the, 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 the way we operate, is it not? I mean, think about, again, this is the third joke about that. When you show up and we ask you how you're doing, and you say, great. Why do you say great? It's the same exact thing that's going on in Genesis chapter 3. I am trying to clothe myself to create a perception of me, of who I am, so that you think about me in a very specific way. I'm trying to, to show you who I really am, you know, or not who I really am, and hide that. Um, but if you're to be in my home, or if you're to see me drive on the way to work during rush hour traffic, and what I do to the guy that's going a little bit too slow, um, it's funny, but you guys do it too, so don't you know, just think it's just me. You all do it. You're all clothed, right? Um, we all do this. We, we, we have a, a church you, and we have a when you're at home you. And this is what the, the verse is trying to put into our minds when we read through the first couple of verses. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. This idea that when we come before the Lord, we are exposing ourselves as who we really are. And there's an honesty about that. And there's not a withholding of who we really are. And, and, and though despite we're exposed, and though despite we're shown to be who we are truly before the Lord, what does, what does God do? Close us still in forgiveness and, and close us in, in, in righteousness and our sins are forgiven. So that's the image that we get here in the first couple of verses. When, when we talk about confession, we, we don't want to confess because we don't want to show who we really are. We think that when we do reveal who we really, we really are, it comes with consequences and shame and guilt. And verse 11, verses 1 and 2, it, it points to the exact opposite of that. When we show who we really are before the Lord... And when we expose the deepest, darkest parts of our life, um, Scripture says that we are covered, we are forgiven, despite who we are, God still forgives us. And, and we arrive at a place in, in verse 11 where there is rejoicing in that. <clears throat> All right, let me speed up here because I realize I got like 10 minutes left in 75% of the sermon. Doing great, guys. So then, look at this, and I'll pick up the pace here, but um, in verse 3 and 4, David continues and says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And see, there, David continues to help us understand more about confession. It's not just a rejoicing, a celebration, and not just how God will clothe us 
and, and accept us and forgive us when we come to him with these, these sins and honestly confess them. Um, but, but verses 3 and 4 speak to how you are wired. You're actually wired to confess. What happens to the one that does not confess their sins? What happens to the one that arrives at church every day saying, good, I'm good, I'm good? Who is the one that can't find anyone to, to be honest with, even their creator? That person, verses 3 and 4, says it's someone who is wasting away. And day and night, they feel the heavy hand of the Lord against them. You are made to confess. Because when we do, don't confess, we learn that it weighs heavy on us. And, and it saps our energy. Continue on in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, verse 5, it is the central key to confession. This right here is the heart of the psalm. And I want to kind of geek out with you for just a moment. Um, I tend to glaze over quite a bit when we start getting into any kind of root word analysis or Hebrew translation of the words. Um, But let's make an exception. It's just once. Two of you are really excited right now. Um, But what I want to show you is that when David goes through verse 5, the Hebrew words that we see in there for the different kinds of sin, um, there, he actually includes every single word in the Old Testament that represents sin um, in the Hebrew language. So there's three in here, and I'm not going to do Hebrew pronunciation because I don't have the, the throatiness for it, but um, we see them in the scripture here. We see sin, iniquity, and transgressions. And, and roughly transliterated, when we see those words, sin is often referred to as a moral failure. Um, God said, do this, and you did that instead. He said, um, he said you know, Ten Commandments stuff, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and you started taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, Bible says, honor your father and mother, and you despise your father and mother. There's moral failings, and that's what sin is meant to capture. The iniquity, though, is a little bit more of an interesting um, understanding of what this is. Leviticus, which you all love and which you all um, live for in your lives now that we went through it, um, we see in the book of Leviticus when there's different kinds of sacrifices and atonement for the, the sins that you've committed. There's, there's atonement, this idea of atoning for the sins that you know you committed, but there's also this atonement that has to happen for sins that you committed that you aren't even aware of things that you didn't even know that were sin that you did. And, and this is a very profound thing because in our lives, um, we have lots and lots of blind spots to our own sin. 
I've heard it said before, the, the window to others' people's sin is crystal clear, but the mirror to our own sinfulness is foggy and blurry and not quite well understood. Um, but if you were to ask the people in your life how you're doing, you would get that honesty, right? Um, can, can I tell you why marriage is so wonderful? I spent like my whole life in my house, and I know my mom is listening. I'm okay with that. Um, but I had a great mom, and I never did anything wrong my entire life. And everything I did was correct. And I was praised for everything and encouraged and nurtured. But then I got married. <laughs> and like, the, like all these, these things that I apparently was not great at and all these things that I didn't know that I was doing that was really annoying. Um, all of a sudden, I had... Um, I really feel like it's the work of the Holy Spirit speaking to my life through my wife. And, you know, all of a sudden, like, apparently I'm loading the dishwasher wrong. And I, you know, um, she one day pointed out how I was doing this very nervous tick. And she's like, that's really annoying. Will you stop that? And I'm just like, I'm sorry. And I'm just like, I didn't know marriage was like this. Um, But on a more serious note, You've maybe experienced this when somebody gets to know the real you, and and that happens especially in marriage, and and you start to experience that pain of thinking, okay, I do have issues in my life, and and you know when's a marriage that's that's centered around Christ and centered around, um, you know the foundation of the gospel, um, you work through that and you become stronger. And marriage is meant to change you and grow you, especially in your faith and in the gospel. Um, but here in verse 5, David speaks to that idea of when I'm naming the things that are wrong in my life, when I acknowledge them to you, he talks about acknowledging his sin, his moral failings. He's acknowledging his iniquity, going astray, even in areas that I didn't know about. And confessing his his transgressions to the Lord. All three of those things are found in here. And let me just back up. And so this this is this is key. This is this is where the central idea of confession is found in Psalm 32. What does David do? He he names that sin. He names the things that, that he is failing to live up to. He's acknowledging that there's ways that even he is not aware that he's, he's falling short of the glory of God. And there's, there's willful ways that he is just, just diverting from the path that God has set him on. He, he names it. He acknowledges it. He does not hide from it. He stops covering it up. And he brings it before the Lord. And he tells the truth about it too. And what does God do at the end of verse 5 when he does that? And when he brings it forward to him, and when he, he declares his failings, declares his sin, declares his iniquities and transgressions, the Lord forgave him of the guilt of his sin. This is really important. Verse 5 is really at the heart of, of what we understand to be confession and how it looks in Psalm, in Psalm 32 and how we can arrive to that point of having celebration. 
when you're able to really get just just everything that that is messed up about you, everything that you know you fall short, everything that you know that is just a willful violation of God's covenant and God's word, and when you put the worst of yourself on the table, and then God's response is this, forgiveness, that's when you really start to understand the power of God's grace and mercy. That's when you really start to understand the character of God. David continues on, and he says this in 6, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them, and you are my hiding place, and you will protect me from trouble. And surround me with the songs of deliverance. Now, in the sake of time, but because it's really a connected idea, let me also read 8 through 10. Because what David is trying to do is is set up these two paths out of confession. um, Two paths out of what it looks like when you're you're truly confessing to the Lord. So we kind of get an idea of one path of 6 through 7. Look at 8 through 10. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding and must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. And so this gets at the heart of this concept. Um, how can you get off that treadmill of constantly confessing, constantly going back to the same sin, never really getting to a new place, never really even experiencing the grace and the mercy that God has for you? How do we get to this place where, where it feels like same you, same sin, same everything? And how do we get to a place where we really do get to experience confession and really get to experience the grace that that brings to us? He kind of talks about this here, how there's two paths. And when we really do understand the language of confession and we look at, at verse 5 with seriousness... And we arrive at that place where we are confessing who we are. We're not hiding who we are. We're not diminishing the seriousness of our sin. We're not trying to rationalize these sins that are in our life. But instead, we, we, we look at it the same way that God looks at it. We name it. We bring it to the Lord. And we experience his, his, his grace and his mercy. We see those two paths where the one that we read in verses 6 and 7. What is true about those people that truly do understand confession and truly do receive that grace and mercy from God? We read how they almost become shored up and immune to the life's trouble that comes their way. We read how they just become fortresses and rising waters don't shake them down. That right there is the image of someone who is properly confessing their sin and properly receiving God's grace and mercy. 
Because when that happens, that repentance that, that you display in, in that forgiveness of sin, it's supposed to change you. It's supposed to change your trajectory. And it's supposed to help strengthen your faith in who you are in Christ. Verses 8 through 10 describe the one that fails to understand how to truly confess and to truly re- receive that forgiveness. We read that they're just like a mule, like a horse that's just led around. And their sin is just leading them to the next problem. And their, their, their iniquity is just leading to the next problem, the next failure, the next whatever it is. And for some reason, it looks exactly the same as the last time I failed, the last time I had this situation, the last time I was in this circumstance. Confession, the reason why it brings celebration and brings joy in our lives is because when we properly confess and lay those things at the feet of the Lord and receive his forgiveness, we understand that it strengthens our faith, it helps protect us, and you don't see yourself on that same treadmill of the same thing time and time again. The gospel, what we talk about so much around here, it is so important because what we're speaking to really is at the heart of the gospel. When we understand that that it is our sin and our moral failings that required Christ to die on the cross, to be resurrected, and to renew us, this is all at the heart of it. Because when we, we experience the gospel moving in our lives, and when we experience God's grace and mercy coming into your life, it's supposed to change you. And it's supposed to put you on a different trajectory. When we understand the language of confession and coming to the Lord and confessing it, naming it, and putting it to him, but also not hiding ourselves, be fully exposed, we arrive at a point where we can truly experience the gospel. I don't know if you have experienced God in your life in a powerful way. Um, and in many ways, it's very difficult to ex- explain the experience of God because it's just something that you just got to experience. And for me, one of the greatest ways I've experienced God moving in my life is through confession and experiencing God's grace truly. Um, I, I joke about marriage. But very seriously, marriage is so wonderful for this exact reason. To, to be who I really am and not hide it, because, you know, dating can't have red flags. And you got to kind of present a certain, you know, truth about you. But with marriage, when, when it's the real me and my wife still loves me, that is an image of what the gospel is. The real you is on the table. The real you is exposed before your creator. And his response to the real you, his response to who you really are, is love and grace and mercy. So I encourage you, 
Psalm 32 is wonderful because it leads us through the prayer of confession. And I think at the very end, that rejoicing that happens, it's because you've experienced God moving in your life and, and healing you and, and helping you experience. And I would encourage you to reflect upon this language, to contemplate how confession could be true in your life, if nothing else, but to experience God truly working in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for, for your word, for the Psalms, uh, and just the language of confession. Lord, our desire is to arrive at a place where we can be our true selves in front of you and experience your love, grace, and mercy when we are who we truly are. Lord, my prayer is that we can trust at least one other person in our lives to, to, to have that experience, to confess to, and to receive that grace and mercy in their lives. Lord, I just pray um, that confession would be something that we turn our hearts to. Because, Lord, as it says in verse 11, when we do turn our hearts towards confession, um, there is rejoicing. And that rejoicing, Lord, we want to experience. In Jesus' name, amen.